Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I am a cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one sessions and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website is lifecoachdanamzalag.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our eighth episode of season four, a very special guest, Kelly Scroy. Now, just like every of my past seasons and episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Kelly, the floor is yours. Oh, thanks for having me, Dr. Dan. I'm thrilled that we were able to get this uh, worked out. So great job on the last name, by the way. Everyone butchers that, but right. My name's, Ke- my name's Kelly Scroy. Um, here in Florida, where I live, they call me a licensed mental health counselor, but from Connecticut, where I'm from, I'm a licensed professional counselor. So I just call myself a therapist. Um, I work with people that are facing all kinds of challenges, uh, mental health issues, anxiety, depression. Um, I specialize in complex trauma, marital counseling, personality disorders, you name it. So we're on the same wavelength with what we do. Um, But for me, this is a second career. Um, I did not become a therapist until I was in my 40s. Um, And it took that long for me to realize that this was my truest passion and I have never looked back, right? Like this was like, how did I not know this all along? (laughs) But, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't see that aspect of myself. My, my story is full of trials, tribulations, and challenges that started in childhood. But what I realized, and as an adult, and once I did all this really hard work, is that most of them were about a belief system that I had about myself and had nothing to do with the challenges that I was faced with. It was how I was taught to deal with those challenges. So um, yeah, I was born in 1970. And back in 1970, um, I was adopted at the age of six weeks old through the state of Connecticut. I grew up knowing that I was adopted, but without knowing what that meant. And um, for some reason, I just always knew that I was different and I didn't fit in and I didn't belong and I didn't really know why. So I spent, gosh, the majority of my adolescent years into my teenage years trying to be perfect, trying to be better than, trying to measure up, trying to never make a mistake. Um, That led me straight into an eating disorder that... uh, I think was going on my whole life, but really kicked in around the age of 15, 16, when I started the binge purge cycle, Um, went off to college, had never been away from home, um, really got caught up in alcohol and partying and my eating disorder, like reared its ugliest head yet. And I went into treatment for three months uh, for my eating disorder. Really, I went into treatment for my eating disorder to figure out how to not gain weight and, and get it under control. So it was like not the, you know, the 18, 19 year olds aspect of eating disorders. Fast forward, came back home, met my then who would become my husband at the age of 21. By now i had gone to three different colleges, quit every program I've ever enrolled in, um, had a history of just unhealthy relationships and met my husband, dated, got married, 
um, seemed to be on the right path, you know, seemed to things were going okay. And got married, couldn't get pregnant. So now here I'm a big failure as a woman because like I can't even do what a woman's meant to do. Go through infertility and blessed with triplets. My children are 23. Um, wow. But that brought that brought in a whole nother set of challenges and failures from my own mindset. You know, my kids were premature. So my body failed me and my kids struggled with preemie issues. So I felt like a failure as a mother. Oh boy. So that went on and on and on. I was with my ex-husband for, yes, ex-husband uh, for 18 years. We were married for 15. Um, and one of the things that happened in our relationship was that we lost each other. We focused so much on our family and climbing the ladders and doing the, what we thought everyone expected of us that we had no relationship anymore. Um, and you know, from his point of view, that was my fault. I was the one with the problem. So I went to marital counseling alone and we ended up divorced. That kicked off a, what would become years of eating disordered issues. Um, and right before my 41st birthday, two days before my 41st birthday, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. So I spent the next year going through um, chemo, four months of chemo, six weeks radiation, bilateral mastectomies with reconstruction um, with 12, 13 year old triplets to take care of. I was in a relationship at the time that was a little controlling, but it served its purpose for that period of time, ended that relationship and landed myself smack dab into a relationship with a narcissist. Yeah, so it gets better and better, let me tell you. Um, so by this point in time, you know, I thought I was the most confident person ever, right? I, I, I knew I wasn't, but I presented this picture of this woman who had it all together. Like I had it figured out. I survived cancer. I was successful in my career as a dental hygienist and as a hygiene educator. Um, I felt like a failure for like not being able to make my marriage work. And then this other relationship didn't work out, but I had convinced myself I had it figured out. Get into a relationship with a narcissist is the most confusing thing that's ever happened to me. And, you know, the red flags were like, if you've ever been through the car wash and the rollers are going like this, well, those were the red flags early on, like smacking me in the face. Mm -hmm. And I, I broke up with this man two weeks into dating him because he was the most negative, dramatic person I'd ever met. He convinced me to give him another chance. And I would spend the next three years trying to convince him that I was worthy. <clears throat> um, you know, on again, off again for three years, we lived together. He threw my kids and I out and moved all our stuff out of the house and left it on the lawn. But I went back. Um, this happened many, many times as anyone who knows what a relationship with a narcissist is like, they're very charming and they're very good at really coming back with the love bombing was monstrous, like gigantic love bombs. The right before, right around my birthday, um, this is now going back six years, I looked out at the sky and I said, dear God, if it's meant to be, we were broken up at the time, he'll call me on my birthday. Well, lo and behold, you know, the universe, God, whoever it was answered me because it was fate. And he reached out the next day and he said, you know, I'd like to see you. Happy birthday. I miss you. I don't know how it happened again, but I fell headfirst into that same garbage all over again. But that 
sense of anxiety that I had been fighting off for so long, it came back full force that minute to the point where people noticed it. I went to work that day and people were like, what is wrong with you? Like my anxiety was visible. So that was in September. In November, two months later, after you know we were meant to be together, we went on a vacation. We went to another country with a large group of people. And he got mad at me on the very first evening because he was flirting with somebody. Fast forward, I called him out on some actions of his, backed me into a corner in our hotel room, screaming in my face, checked out of our hotel room, stole my passport and left me there. Crash and burn. Yeah. Crash and burn relationship with a narcissist right there. Don't ever call a narcissist out on his garbage unless you want to deal with the repercussions. Mm -hmm. So we were with a large group. Nobody in this group would speak to me because they didn't know me. And he made up some crazy stories about me. Um, The police finally found him about 3 a.m., got my passport back. I got left at the hotel. I had to get myself to the airport. Um, Had to fly home on the same flight with him. I had no flight information. I had to like go to the desk at the airport and be like, I don't have any information. Mm -hmm. Um, Made it back into this country and got in my car at the airport. And when I tell you I lost my shit, I lost it. Like my downward spiral kicked off from that point. Um, I started drinking. I got a DUI. And the next a month later, realized my life was completely out of control. And I took a deep, dark, hard look in the mirror. And I said, you know, there's one consistent denominator in all of your misery. And it's you. It's you. You are the person. You know, I grew up being told I could never catch a break. I grew up that life sucks and then you die. I grew up that, you know, life's not a bowl of cherries. It's the pits. Mm -hmm. I grew up with the negativity and, you know, work harder, work harder, work harder. You don't get anything for free. Um, But I never reached that get anything point. Like nothing seemed to ever get me to that point of it being enough. Um, And then I realized that I was never going to get there. This idea of perfection for me was an illusion for anybody. It was an illusion. I was chasing a ghost, something that I could never become. And while I was chasing that version of me, I didn't even see the version of me that was there. You know, I didn't like myself. Gosh, I hated myself. I hated who I'd become. I hated that I couldn't be all of these other versions of me that I thought I should be. And in the end, like I reached that point where my kids didn't want to be around me anymore because I became the version of me that I dreaded ever becoming. I was that version, right? I was like, they're like, mom, you're like so dramatic and there's so much chaos and we just can't be around you. And I had to pull my life together. Um, And that was like super, that was the hardest work I've ever done in my life and the most rewarding. So now we're going back about six years and that's when my happiness journey began right that's when my journey to happy started and um, gosh I had an amazing amazing therapist that I found and I was a therapist so you know I should have known better than all this right but boy and I I want to reiterate it doesn't matter what your background is what your education is what whether you're wealthy or not wealthy, whether you have a big family or a small family, when you don't believe in yourself and you are chasing something outside to fix that, you can end up right where I ended up. 
because, you know, I'm well-educated. I had great jobs, I had great family. I was raised other than the negativity with a lot of love and support. And I didn't believe in myself. I had a great therapist. I found an amazing um, intuitive coach at the time because my therapist taught me about spirituality um, and my soul's purpose and what this life was all about from that perspective. And it made so much sense to me when she talked to me about soul groups and coming together and learning from each other and that I was exactly where I was always meant to be, even though it really sucked at that point in time. And that I had the ability and the power within myself to make the changes that I wanted in my life. Um, and that is, that is what I did. I worked really, really hard. I looked in the mirror. I owned my part of everything. I owned my irresponsibility. I owned putting myself in these situations. And when I work with people with trauma, you know, a lot of the times when we're still coming through it, we ask, like, why is this happening to me? but I knew why it was happening to me. I allowed it to happen to me, right? I put myself in that situation because I didn't have enough self-worth and enough love for myself to know that I deserved more. And that is really what it came down to. I was looking for happiness outside of myself. And, you know, you work with people, you hear this too, I'm sure. When I have the relationship, I'll be happy. When I lose weight, I'll be happy. When I get in shape, I'll be happy. When I have a million dollars, I'll be happy. When I have kids, I'll be happy. That was me, right? I was never allowed to feel anything but happy. So I faked happy. I remember one Christmas crying and my mother tapping me on the leg and going, oh, they're happy tears. No, I'm not happy. I'm not crying because I'm happy, right? I'm crying because I'm miserable and I'm hurting and I don't know what to do, but I was never allowed to show that because I thought I had to be perfect and that wasn't perfect. Perfect doesn't cry, right? Perfect doesn't let them see you sweat. Yeah. Um, and in our society, we're, we're taught to not ever show these vulnerabilities and it wasn't until I showed my authentic vulnerability and cried and, you know, admitted all the things I did that screwed up my own life that I was able to find my happy. And it was with me. Like I was it. I had the ability to go, wait, why do I have to wait to be in a relationship or to have the money or to be skinnier or to reach my goal weight or to have the best fitness body or to whatever it is that's out there, have another car, have a bigger house to be happy. Why can't I start off happy and see what comes when I'm happy? And when I finally started focusing on the littlest things that made me happy, and I mean little things, like right now I have a cat who's trying to get on the keyboard and like, she's like, oh, mommy, what are we talking about? These are the, li these are the little things, right? The littlest things, a, a sunrise, a sunset, a smile from a child in the store, watching an old couple walk holding hands, like these simple little pleasures that I couldn't even see before because I didn't have them, but they made me smile. And that's when I started finding happy. And I started accepting that happy was what I decided it to be, not what everyone else told me it should be. And that made a huge difference. I mean, I don't do what everyone thinks I should do. Heck, I catch myself some weekends going, well, I should be out doing something, but maybe that's not what's making me happy. So um, yeah, I had to really take a look at what 
what was important for me, for Kelly, not for everyone else to be happy with Kelly. Um, and that's where my changes came in. This is definitely a very heavy story, Kelly. I mean, there's so <laughs> there are so many pieces. We could be on here for hours with it. But you know what? I think that the best part of it is sometimes I tell the story and people are like, wait a minute, stop. And I'm like, why? Like, it's just my story. It's not who I am, right? It's just my story. It's just like, yes, it happened, but it happened because it was meant to happen so I could get here. And I've heard people, like people have asked me, if you could go back and change one thing, what would it be? Nothing. I always said, Mike, I don't really think so. Honestly, Dr. Dan, I don't think I'd change a thing because if I did, I wouldn't be this version of me. And this version of me is the version that accepts being introverted and doesn't buy into the extroverted world that people are telling me I should be in. You live in Florida, you should be out doing things. I decided a few weeks ago, I don't like the beach. And I'm like, I said it out loud. I'm like, you know what? I just don't like the beach. Going there doesn't make me happy. So I stopped forcing myself to go to the beach, okay. right? It just was so easy. And it doesn't matter if people say, why don't you go to the beach every weekend? Because I don't like it. I don't have to anymore. So really like my heavy story and the challenges in my life, I think and a cat who wants to knock everything over. I think my challenges in my life, you know, they taught me that hope was in front of me. I was looking in the wrong places for it. You know, I was expecting life to be just this picture perfect idea of what it, what I imagined on the fairy tales and, and it's not, it's, you know, it gets hard and it gets messy and it gets muddy and things happen and bad things happen to everybody, not just good people or bad people, bad things happen. And I had to take those bad things and own my role, own my part of them. What did I bring to that that allowed it to happen? Now, you know, sometimes bad things happen and we don't play a role, right? I didn't ask for cancer but I've used it as a way to connect with women who are struggling with their cancer diagnosis. I've used it as a way to say life is short and I don't get another go round that I'm going to remember. I get to do it now, right? I get to go, Hey, look, I can wait till I'm 65, 70 and travel, or I can figure it out now and do what I want to do because tomorrow's not promised. Not at all. And yeah, it's the the thing is that you, you start learning to live mindfully instead of always learning to live for the future that is not, you know, it's not guaranteed, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But you, you brought up a lot of uh, very good points here uh, that I would like to be able to uh, ask a few questions about mm-hmm. uh, the nature of the host. Uh, yeah. for, for the people that are going through, um, let's say if we tackle the narcissistic uh, uh, partner that you had for three years, um, those who are married to one um, and they want to be able to kind of like get out of that relationship because of so much gaslighting that they deal with on a day-to-day basis, the abuse, the mental abuse, the physical abuse, whatever it is. Um, how do you, or what would you suggest as a therapist, as we work in the same field, you and I, um, what would you suggest them to approach this relationship? Because obviously, like you said, you are in control you decided to go back over and over and over again by the many red flags that you've been dealing with on a day-to-day basis. 
So the choice was yours to be able to accept this torture or this abuse, but keep going back. Now, how, yeah. can, how can you help someone, another woman or a man, because also some women are narcissistic. In sure. that what would you recommend them to be able to do? So the first thing I want to want to say is one, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. That is the role of the narcissist to make you feel like you're crazy. And I felt like I was crazy. Like I felt like a lunatic. I thought I was doing things I couldn't remember. I was isolated from friends and family and I didn't even recognize it till it was too late. Um, you know, I've been to a lot of trainings on personality disorders and every specialist has always said the same thing when NPD comes up. If you're talking to a narcissist run, if you're dating a narcissist run, if you're married to and in bed with a narcissist, get out of bed and run. Narcissists don't change. They gaslight and they love bomb and they do whatever they can to manipulate you to get back into the role of control. Mm -hmm. The second you attempt to take control, they try to take it back. And it's not going to be pretty. Trust me, it was not fun trying to find my passport in another country. Um, you know, when the police said to me, at least you found this out before you married him. And I was like, what truer words have never been spoken. But, you know, if you are married to a narcissist, if you're trying to get out of a narcissist, narcissist relationship, get out first and then make all the other arrangements. Get to a safe place. Find someone that you can trust. Make the arrangements without discussing it. There's no rationalizing. There's no logical conversation with a narcissist ever. And the problem with the narcissist relationship is we start trying to prove to them that we deserve to be loved. You deserve to be loved. You don't have to prove that you deserve to be loved. The narcissist does not a happy, healthy, loving person, which is why they're breaking you down. Stop proving you deserve to be loved from anyone else and start loving yourself enough to get out no matter what. Because I trust me, there is life after, there's life after narcissistic abuse. There's life after it. And the life after it is so sweet and is so livable and is so, gosh, I can't even think of the word. I, you know, I had no, just sooner gotten out of this relationship and I decided that I had to get well out of my comfort zone and face all of my fears. And I booked a solo trip to Alaska. Like I had never traveled. I'd never gone to dinner on my own. Okay. Um, and, and I just went. So, you know, my motto, and I say this all the time is do it afraid. I know you're scared. I was scared. I was scared for my life that night when he checked out and stole my passport he backed me into a corner. He wanted me to hit him. So I'd go to jail in another country. That's exactly what he wanted. Um, so I feared for my life and I really had not gotten to that point yet. And that's the truth of these relationships. So it may seem like they love you. They may seem like the love bombing is real because you want to feel that amount of love, but it's going to go away just like every single time that every other time it went away, right? Like every time it goes away. As soon as you're back in, the, the truth comes out harder and harder. That, But if you have so much love towards someone, how can they, you know, despite all this abuse, this gaslighting that they do on a day-to-day basis, it's hard for, you know, for people to start recognizing and making the immediate change. So when you have yeah. all your heart in your sleeves, 
chances are maybe they say, oh, they love me so much. That's why they're jealous. So you start finding excuses for their behavior. And it's yes. constant, um, repetitive action that you give the narcissistic person more power. Sure. Well, so, you know, in the therapy world, we call this, you know, some trauma bonding. Mm -hmm. um, but I also want to point out that um, jealousy is not love. Criticism is not love. Control, manipulation, that is not love. Love is love. Love is unconditional. It doesn't mean you need to do this or that or the other thing, and then I'm going to be nice to you. You know, um, it doesn't mean I love you so much you can't talk to anybody else. No, love is love. Love is freeing, right? Love is love is meant to empower us, not keep us stuck, not chain us to someone else. That's not love. That's control. <laughs> you know, we have. We have the power and control wheel. And if you look on, on that for anyone in, in domestic abuse relationships, abuse, abuse is just as simple as being ignored, right? My exes used to ignore me for days like I didn't exist. That is not love. That's not love. That's abusive. Um, but we, we learn these things. You know, We learn these things by watching other people. And when you get broken down so much and your self-esteem is in the crapper, yes. you know that you're not ever gonna get anyone better. And you know what? Remember, they're having yourself and loving yourself and knowing you deserve to be treated so much better is better than that abuse. Mm -hmm. That, and then I get it because I wanted to believe it so bad. I wanted to believe, I wanted, I kept believing that if I could just prove how much I loved him, he was going to change. It's not, yeah. It wasn't ever going to happen. And you know, this man ended up getting married again for the fourth time. And, um, you know, my first reaction, and this is after healing was why, why her, not me. And I looked at myself and I was like, oh my gosh, thankfully it's her, not you. <laughs> that is I'm like, do you, because you know what, we just, that's, you know, we, we can get into so many levels of our, our people pleasing and our need to take care of each other and, you know, codependency, and we can throw out every word you want to, but bottom line, if, if this is the dynamic in the relationship, love is not control. It's not, it's not taking your power away. It is recognizing your own abilities and supporting you through that. Absolutely. And also we, we call narcissistic, like more emotional vampires, because they will drain you as much as they possibly can. And once you're left with no blood in your body or no more emotion or self-worth or self-love, they go to the next victim. So you have to understand that you're not going to change them. They are who they are. And you did say something really interesting as well, uh, Kelly, is that um, if let's say you are dealing with a narcissistic husband or spouse, whatever it is, you, you have to prepare your exit plan. And this exit plan without mentioning anything to that person, because they will put a lot of stick in your wheels. That's a given. So uh, prepare yourself financially because you're going to need to get an apartment. Prepare yourself emotionally because you will not need, you will have to detach yourself. And going to court with a narcissistic person, good luck. Because yeah. that's going to be something that you're going to have to be very, very strong. And if that narcissistic person was the financial decision maker for the family, they have the money and they will spend as much as it can to be able to uh, have you be seen as the culprit and not the victim. So I hear, 
I hear so many women that say, or, you know, mostly women, because usually they're, that's the men are running the money, but you know, it does happen the other way. So I hear lots of people that are in relationships with the narcissist who, who they are not financially able to get out. Don't let that stop you. Trust me. Money is a belief system, just like everything else. When I believe, when I used to believe that I was never going to have enough money, I never had enough money, but I made arrangements and I took care of myself and the things come. Don't discuss getting divorced. Don't discuss leaving. Don't discuss moving out. Just disappear. Take your stuff, take your kids, take whatever you need, go somewhere, go no contact, file paperwork, have them served. The money will show up rely on friends, rely on family, rely on coworkers, rely on bosses, rely on other women that, or men who have been through this. There's so much support if you're ready to get out, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that for me, especially as having to go through it and getting out and seeing people just still stuck in the cycle. Sometimes I just want to be like, no, you have to get out because this is not going to end well. Um, it's not ever going to end well, ever, with a narcissist or someone narcissistic. The, the, um, it's uh, and you know the thing is, as you said, uh, Kelly, is that um, despite the fact that women say to themselves, "I can change him," the one person that you can't change is a narcissist. If I mean, you know, like I said, for any case, we we may have. It depends if it's um, covert narcissism or um, I would say vulnerable narcissism because there's a different spectrum of it. But again. There's no winning. And if you think right. someone, you're on, you're on the wrong path. So as you said, Kelly, starting to love yourself, starting to be able to feel that you can make it without that person, that you can grow without that person in your life. And that this is where the first, this is where the, the cycle start at this point. And the happiness journey begins because in that journey with that person, you're never going to be happy. That's a given. No. You're always going to feel less worthy. I mean, they will treat you like garbage, basically. That's what it is. That's what you're yes. them. So you're just a punching bag. Correct. You're someone takes their crap. That's it's fine. interesting. You said um, we'll never change them. You know, and I think that's something to keep in mind in all relationships. We can't change other people, no matter what. People have to want to change. I tell clients this all the time. I wanted to change and it was such hard work trying to change somebody who doesn't want to change or doesn't see anything wrong with their own actions well, is impossible. Um, and in one of his books, Don Miguel Ruiz says, you know, we're always trying to change each other for love and I love him. So he'll change. Or if he loves me, he'll change. And Don Miguel says, go out and find someone who's exactly the way you want them to be and love them just like that. Stop trying to change. We don't have to change. Someone loves you just the way you are. Oh, that's a song right? We can love each other just the way we are. Um, And I, you know, and I have to reiterate, I've been single now since that relationship. I've dated a couple of really short-term things and I see the red flags and I see things and I'm like, you know what? I, I am not willing to ever sacrifice my own happiness again for anybody. Um, And I don't, you know, I know that the person for me is not going to try to control me. They're not going to be expecting me to change. They're going to be on the same type of path that I'm on. I'm on myself. Maybe it's not going to be in this lifetime. I don't know. I don't have to know. The anxiety came from trying to figure it out. The anxiety was worrying about what was going to happen. 
depressions, worrying about the past, anxieties, looking too far into the future. And that mindfulness piece, staying present and just taking it that next piece at a time. And if you're in a narcissistic relationship, the next piece is to start getting out. That is so true. And, you know, um, for some of my uh, patients, that I, uh, I try to bring humor behind all that. I tell them the only thing that you could change in a person is a diaper. That is all. And yeah. of that, don't expect to change anyone. And if you're in that mindset to wanting to change them, you're in for a really, really bad journey. So in, in retrospect, I think everything that you said when it comes to how to deal with a narcissistic person, your exit plan, how to deal with their ups and downs, and there's more down than up. So, you know, this negativity is like constant and it's not negative, negativity uh, towards them. It's negativity towards you, basically, towards the victim, that is. So um, what, what would you give the last piece of advice, Kelly, to all of our listeners who are going through a very similar problem, like a very, very quick, uh, I would say, advice to them to make them feel like there is light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, I think that just knowing that you are love you already are love. You don't have to prove your love. You born, you exist, which means you have a right to be loved. And when you love yourself for all of your mistakes and, and failures and consequences of those and all the, all pieces, you never have to put yourself in that situation again, because you're love. You're surrounded by love. It is love. Like, that's just it. Like love. That's what we're meant to do, love. And none of that other stuff is love. And that is so, so true. Well, Kelly, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy therapy schedule to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible stories. Now, we thank hope you. you enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season four of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you listened to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. Our lives are stories in which we write, direct, and start as the leading role. Some chapters are happy, while others bring lessons to learn. But we always have the power to be the heroes of our own adventures. So get that paper pad out, a good pen or pencil, as we all know we may have to erase and rewrite some chapters in our lives and just get started. If you want to thrive, don't expect anything to write itself as you are the author of your own life. My name is Dr. Dan Emzelag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.